Turning your Bibles to the book or your electronic devices to the book of John chapter 10, I'm also going to ask you to find Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be looking at both these areas of Scripture today. And, and before I jump into the deep end, to, before we unpack the Scripture, I want to just take a, a few minutes and set up the context for what we're talking about when we say solve for X. Solve for X. Let, let me make it clear. Uh, I'm never going to claim to be a math genius. I, I will never make that claim. I know enough math to help me function in what I do. And I'm always impressed by those who can take math to a different level. To me, math is a foreign language. And if you speak it, more power to you. But here's what I know about math. You ready? Math is necessary. That's it. Um, not really. Math is necessary, and here's what I know, that you have to have the right components, okay, in order to get the correct solution. And this is, seems like where I would always mess up in math classes. I might have the right formula, but plug in the, right, the, wrong, you know, the, the, the wrong information, the wrong components. And if you don't plug in the right components, you get the wrong solution. And, and I think, you know, even if a little bit of it's off, the whole problem is wrong. And I always wanted to look at the teacher and say, but I had the right formula, right? At least I get half credit. I'm like, no, it's all wrong. I'm like, but I had the right formula. So I just argued. I had the right train of thought. I had the right ideas. And they say, if one part's wrong, it's all wrong, which is why I don't like math. <laughs> Can somebody say amen? So <laughs> not really. It's necessary. Correct that. So, so we search for answers in life. We go through life and we search for answers, and I wonder how often as we search for answers, do we plug in the wrong components? How often as we walk through the things that we, we're faced with struggles and things we go through, that we plug in the wrong components? See, we search for answers when life throws us curves, okay? And we, we seek to solve our problems when we walk or when we walk with other people or on our own, and struggles seem to just come upon us and they jeopardize us. And what we do is sometimes we plug in the wrong information, which can lead to the wrong outlook. If we plug in the wrong information, we get the wrong outlook. And so let me just tell you up front here, X, to solve for X. X is the solution. X is the true understanding. X is the answer. Solving for X is more about what solutions we use to navigate what life throws at us. And I believe that God has given us the correct solution. See, God gave us Christ. And It'd be so easy for me to just stand up here and give you a church answer. In all of life's solutions, the answer is Christ. That's almost too easy. But the truth is, that's the answer. That, that's the answer. It can seem like a very shallow response in lieu of what we may be walking through. Some of us may be carrying the weight of the world here this morning. We may be walking through some significant stuff. And to have somebody just stand up and say, Christ is the answer, it just seems so shallow. Just seems like, how can Christ just be the simple answer to whatever it is we're walking through? It just seems like a simple bumper sticker answer. But the truth is, Jesus provides a solution that's beyond all comprehension. See, I believe we live in a world that's looking for solutions. If you just go to like Barnes & Noble or any bookstore, understand they have these racks of self-help books. And what I'm always amazed for is that how we always get more and more self-help books. Because if one really worked... We wouldn't need anymore. If the one, like, okay, this is the answer. Why do I need the other ones if that's the answer? Here's the reality. God gave us a self-help book. See, God gave us his word. 
God said, look, I'm going to give you the solutions, and the solution is in my son, and I'm going to give you my words so that you can know me, that you can understand me, so that you can navigate all that life is going to throw at you. But you have to pour yourself into this book in order to understand how to navigate this world. See, the world around us is filled with problems and conflicts, and I believe that we seek solutions to our struggles. So let me just take a minute and be clear. I'm not talking about the consequences that come of a life from being disobedient to Christ. If we're disobedient in our walk with Christ, we're going to have consequences we face. Uh, you know, but what about the struggles that come upon us? You know, when we put our faith in Christ, when we're, we're living our lives for Christ, and from out of not, nowhere, we're blindsided by what life throws at us, by what this world gives us. We didn't ask for it, but there it is. You know, the, the situation or the problem that we're now left facing day after day, you know, our new problem, our new new our new normal, our new consuming issue in life to solve, we're left asking how and why and what are we going to do? You know, maybe it's a financial situation, maybe it's a physical situation or an emotional situation or just simply a social situation. You name it, life has a way of throwing stuff our way that we didn't ask for. We didn't walk outside of God's path. We've been on the straight and narrow. We've been in God's word, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, we're hit with something. We're like, how do we navigate this? How do we get through this? How do we, how do we solve for X in this time? Here's what I know. As believers of Christ, as believers in Christ, I believe we hold a solid solution for all that life throws at us, and that solution is hope found in Christ alone. See, it's not Jesus plus anything. I believe that we can walk through stuff and Jesus can open doors. Jesus can knock down barriers. Jesus can give us hope for what we walk through. So it's Jesus alone. It's not Jesus plus a ton of self-help books. It's just Jesus. But here's what I also think. I think Satan wants us to believe that we need more. Satan keeps whispering in our ears like, that's just not enough. There's got to be more to this. There's got to be more to understanding how to navigate these struggles. There's got to be more to solving for X than simply trusting Christ. And it always amazes me when you see someone with strong faith who's walking through something just overwhelming, just, I mean, like you go, I don't know if I could do that. And their response saying, how do you get through this is like, my Savior, my Jesus is the answer. And they just, they almost minister to you in those times where they're saying, you know what, I've just trusted Jesus with everything. You're going, holy mackerel, how can you do that? You know, because I'd be freaking out if I were you. If I had to walk through what you're walking through, I don't know that, you know, I could do that. And the, 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 the faith that they have just overwhelms and just consumes you because they're so sold out on Christ alone that you're just going, I want a double dose of that. I want what they have. How can I walk through whatever crisis, whatever this world is throwing at me and say, it's Christ alone? That my hope is in Christ alone. See, I see Satan wants us to believe we need more. And here's what I want to say is don't let Satan steal your hope. I want us to look at a second section of Scripture that I hope will draw attention to what this world offers and compare it to what God offers through his son, Jesus Christ. So John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 7 here. It reads like this. Therefore, Jesus said again. Let me just stop right there. That if it starts out saying Jesus said this again, that means he said it previously, which means we should pay attention to what he's saying here. It's not just some passing conversation. Obviously, there's something they wanted us to know, so they wrote it down and saying Jesus said this again. And here's what he said. He says, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. So did you catch that? Just tucked right there in these few little verses. See, I believe, as a believer, we have a shepherd. We have a shepherd who wants to save us and who wants to offer us protection. He says this, he looks, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And understand, as sheep, when they find pasture, this is their opportunity to relax. This is their opportunity to be at peace. They know they're safe. They know they're protected. They know they're taken care of. And here he says, I'm the shepherd. And I want to lead you to pasture. I want to take you. I'm the gate. The way to get this is through me. And when we walk through the problems of life, we have a shepherd who saves us and leads us to pasture. He says in, in, in verse 10, he says, the thief comes to steal. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Not a mediocre life. Not just a basic life, just getting by. He says, look, I've come that you may have life to the full. So if Christ says, I'm here, and I want you to have life to the full, then why do we chase after the things of this world, thinking that the world can offer us more than Christ? Why, why do we chase after the patterns of this world and the things of the world, saying there's more out there in this world that offers us, when Christ says, I want you to have the fullness through me? See, this world we live in offers us really only temporary happiness. Temporary happiness that can lead to hurt and to pain, which compounded ends up in hurt and pain. We had some friends of ours say, hey, let's get together and let's go to dinner. And we said, sure, where should we go? They found out we like sushi, they like sushi, so we went out for sushi. Any sushi fans? Somebody say amen. Here we go. So we found an all-you-can-eat sushi place. Yeah, God is so good. Amen. Um, so we found an all-you-can-eat sushi place, and we went to the sushi restaurant thinking we are going to get our sushi on, okay? It's go time. We show up, we, we start ordering sushi, and they just start bringing sushi, and they keep bringing sushi, and at one point they said, do you want the other platter that you ordered? I'm like, we ordered a whole other platter. Man, this is too much sushi. And here's what happened. We're sitting there in conversation on the drive to the restaurant, we're getting our sushi on, and pretty soon conversation starts stopping because our stomachs start getting so full of sushi, the glory of the Lord, you know what I'm saying? And so we're just like, oh. And then it takes over, and we get this sushi coma going on. You know, we just got to unbutton the button. You're like, yeah. You know, it, praise Jesus, this is good. And then your stomach starts hurting because you realize, man, I just had so much sushi. And we're in pain because we had so much sushi. And the whole ride home, there was no conversation from Colorado Springs back to Pueblo because we're in this sushi coma. Everyone's just sort of going, oh, why did we have the second platter? There was pain and there was suffering, but it was temporary. You know, God offers us a whole lot more than just all-you-can-eat sushi. God offers us all-you-can-handle grace. He's saying, look, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, look, you know, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it to the fullest. Don't worry about the world. Don't worry about what this world offers you. 
Worry about what I offer you. Worry about the hope that comes in me. This world gives us these painful experiences, and these experiences are beyond our actions, beyond our consequences. We didn't ask for them, but they're there. So how do we manage and how do we navigate through this tough time? How do we seek solutions? How do we solve for X? What do we do when we face these situations? What if we've been faithful to follow Christ and we still face circumstances beyond our control? How do we solve for X? How do we pursue the solution of what we're facing? To solve for X, we need the right information. So the first thing we need to do is understand that a damaged world offers damaged solutions. A damaged world offers damaged solutions. If we're seeking the answers of this world, understand it's only good enough to give us damaged information. It says in the first part of this John 10, 10, the thief comes to what? To steal. Only to steal, only to kill, and only to destroy. And as Satan speaks into our solutions, his primary goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And I don't think I need to convince any of you that we live in a damaged world. The struggles of this world are around us every day. You know, we, can, we know our own struggles. We know what we're walking through. You know, maybe some of us are fighting a chronic illness. Maybe, you know, it's a loss of a job or it's just a strain in a relationship. But we're left feeling down. We're left feeling, really, isn't there more? This damaged world offers damaged solutions. You know, this world that you and I experience every day is damaged and it's broken. We, we didn't have to do anything to experience the damaged world. It's the world that we were born into. So you see, we're born into a damaged world. Now, let me explain what I mean by damaged world. Back in the Garden of Eden, back in the Garden of Eden, the certain serpent was out to steal Adam and Eve's paradise. The serpent gave bad, the serpent gave bad information in Genesis 3, and we see the serpent keep tempting Eve. And it reads like this. He says, Genesis 3, chapter 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animal the Lord God had made. He said to the woman. Now that should be a clue right there. When the serpent starts speaking, you should ask yourself, something's wrong here. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, another clue, she's talking to the animals now. We may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must, touch, must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that, if, that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. Understand what happened here. The serpent contradicted what God told her. The serpent the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy contradicted what God had already established. They had one commandment in the paradise, in the garden. One commandment. Don't touch and don't eat of this tree. One commandment. And the serpent shows up and says, really? Is that really what God said? 
Surely you're not going to die. Go ahead and taste it. And check this out. When Eve looked at it, he based, she based her action on what looked good. You see, I don't think Satan's going to throw stuff at us, throw solutions at us that don't look good. In fact, he's craftier than that. He's, he's a lot more intentional than that. He's going to throw stuff at you that look good. So we have to say, well, here's a solution that the world offers me, and it looks good, versus here's what God says. Here, here's what God says, and I'm going to rest in what God says alone. If God says I can trust in Christ, and I'm going to trust in Christ, and I'm just going to ignore what the world says. See, the serpent, the thief, contradicted what God had said previously. God said, you're free to consume all of paradise, but don't eat from the tree or you'll die. And the serpent says, you're not going to die. And see, this is why I get feisty. It's just why I get just worked up. Because if God tells us to do something, we should do it. Does that make sense? If God tells us to do something, we should do it. If God tells us to avoid something, we should avoid it. If God says, trust me, we should trust him. So why is it so complicated? I mean, this isn't rocket surgery. It's not brain science. If God says do it, we should do it. If God says avoid it, we should avoid it. If God says trust me, we should trust him. The mathematical equation is Christ plus nothing. God alone, I place my trust. I'm convinced that the same practice that the thief is trying to steal, to kill, and destroy still goes on today. I'm convinced that when we face struggles, Satan's right there trying to contradict God, trying to take our eyes off of what we know and trying to say, look, this looks good over here. Over here, it looks much better. Take your eyes off of God and trust him. No, leave your eyes fixed on God. Knowing that no matter what we walk through, no matter the outcome, we can praise him because he loves us. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to continue to fill our minds with the things that are contrary to God. See, Satan, the devil, goes around spreading his lies to steal our happiness, to destroy our hope. And it's just so often, you know, he, all these things are thrown out. And I just wonder how often we listen to just bad advice. Because we're good at giving bad advice. I'm good at giving bad advice. Isn't that what you want to hear from the pastor? <laughs> because if my advice is not rooted in the word of God, that's dangerous. It's just opinion. It's just an idea. One of the worst pieces of advice I've ever been given was this. And you're willing to use it. It goes like this. Never eat any uncooked peas. Please use it. Feel free. I encourage it. Especially those of you still in high school, that's perfect for signing a yearbook. Best of luck, year of the summer. Remember, never eat any uncooked peas. And then for the rest of their life, when they open up their yearbook, they go, what? What were you thinking? But isn't it true? Don't we live in a world that just loves to throw out useless antidotes? 
useless ideas, opinions that aren't rooted in anything. I'd rather have an opinion. I'd rather have somebody base something in the Word of God if they're going to give me advice and say, look, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're going through, trust God. And here's why. And they open up God's Word and they speak to me through God's Word. They can give me advice. They can give me encouragement through God's Word. Because last time I checked, God is bigger than any one of us. And God is someone that we can trust and someone we can put our hope in. And if God's going to speak to us, then I want to be ready to listen. So when I, I give advice, you know, it's dangerous because the only solution that I can provide, if not rooted in the Word of God, can be damaging. If the advice or encouragement that I give is not rooted in the Word of God, it may look good, but it could be damaged. So if the damaged world gives us damaged solutions, how do we solve for X? And, you know, I believe it goes down to this, a perfect solution. A perfect solution comes from a perfect Savior. A perfect solution comes from a perfect Savior. Job, uh, John 10, the last part of verse 10 says, I've come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. See, Christ saying, look, I want you to have this full life, not a mediocre life, not a simple life. I want you to have a full life. And, and, and this is a perfect Savior who's saying, I want you to have a full life. Through Christ, God offers us this full life, not just a life to come, but a life here now. It's not just a hereafter, it's the here. And sometimes we walk through this relationship with Christ, and, you know, this is all about when I get to heaven. And he's saying, look, I want you to have the full life now. You know, you're struggling, you're walking through stuff. It's not just the hereafter, it's the here now. It's right here. I want you to have this full life. And through Christ, and there's three things that he offers us as, as part of the solution. You know, the first thing is through Christ, he offers us forgiveness. Christ offers us forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7, it says this, In him we have redemption through his blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with, to the riches of God's grace. Wow. Christ's blood on the cross gave forgiveness for my sins because my Savior was grace-filled. I have redemption. So if I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I can understand that there's forgiveness through Christ, through Christ on the cross. Through him, I have forgiveness through his blood in accordance to the riches that are in him. See, this solution that Christ offers us begins by understanding that there is forgiveness. And here's where I celebrate. Now, I said I to Jesus Christ years ago, but I still stumble and I still fall. And there's still things day to day that, man, I'm not perfect. I don't measure up. But none of us do. See, in Romans 3.23, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, so we need forgiveness. And each day, his forgiveness is new. It's enough for what we're going through. It's enough for where we struggle. His forgiveness is good. See, we, we worship a God that's without sin. And to come into his presence, we have to be cleansed from our sin. So God sent his son to pay the price for our sin. And Christ's death on the cross paid that penalty. Why did he do this? Because he loves us. Church answer, because he loves us is the truth. He loves us so much that he went to the cross for you and for me. He said, look, I love you so much that I want to provide forgiveness because I want to be with you. I desire you. I love you. Christ offers 
a solution. The second thing in that love is it's an inescapable love. Christ offers us an inescapable love. Romans 8, 35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall it be trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In verse 38, he picks it up and he says, For I am convinced, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither high or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that comes through his son Jesus. So so this is hope for today. No matter what we face, I can rest assured that whatever I walk through, Jesus loves me. No matter what this world throws at me, no matter what actions I may take, nothing upon nothing upon nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. It's an inescapable love. Check this out back, okay, uh, back in the Garden of Eden. God loved Adam and Eve, and God knew Adam and Eve, and he knew that they had sinned. They had one commandment. They blew that. They blew paradise. But his love was so great that he did not turn from them, but sought them out. Calling out to them, Genesis 8, Genesis 3, excuse me, at verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as they was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, Where are you? Where are you, he calls out. Where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid. And I was naked, so I hid. It's an inescapable love. They blew paradise. But God still showed up and said, where are you? I've created you. I love you. You cannot escape my love. I want to be with you. It's an inescapable love. God's inescapable love for us is so great that no matter what we're going through, he's right there to walk with us. No matter what we face for the future, he's right there. He's not going to leave us or nor forsake us. He's right there for us. The third thing he offers us is this, a hope for our future. He offers us a hope for our future. He says in John 10, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So when I place my trust in Jesus Christ, I have that salvation. Because the shepherd says, I'm the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. In Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This hope is not limited to things to come. It's a hope for today. And when I, when I read the news and I think of a hopeless world or a damaged world that we're consumed with, I live with a smile on my face because I have a Savior. I have a shepherd who is the gate, who gives me hope, who leads me to pasture. See, we can hope for a lot of things. We can hope for a new car. We can hope for laundry that will fold itself. We can hope as a kid. I always hoped, I always hoped that my parents would never say, is your room clean? And then the other hope was, if I said no, would they clean it for me? See, we live with a lot of hopes. We, we live with a lot of dreams. And don't get dreams mixed up with hope. Hope is in Christ alone. Ideas come from dreams. Laundry that folds itself is a dream. A new car is a dream. Hope is what we have in Christ. My future is secured through my personal relationship with Christ. Through him, I have an eternal hope 
of being with him forever. And no matter what this world throws at me, I can live understanding that I will be with him forever. So what's our response? How do we do something? What do we, what do we, where do we take this? Well, we need to remember that whatever we walk through, we have a Savior. Whatever we walk through, God has not turned his back on us. It may feel like it at times, and sometimes when we feel like that, maybe we need to get back into his word. Maybe we need to press in to him more instead of feeling like he's left us. We have to remember we have a Savior, and just because we live in a damaged world doesn't mean our hope is damaged. God sent his son to provide us hope for today and for tomorrow. I think the other thing we need to do is appreciate what he's done for us. Understand what Christ has done with us. When the weight of the world is upon us, when things get overwhelming, that's the time to be, that we need to be reminded of what Christ did for us on the cross. See, you can put words together in groups of three and come up with some amazing things. I'm a football fan. And when I'm watching football, you put first and ten together, those three words, if I'm offense, I'm excited. If I'm defense, I'm not. But first and ten is a good thing. Or maybe you're at Walmart and all the checkers have gone on break. Hypothetically. And there's only one lane open. And you find it. And as you rush with your cart and you're about ready to go into the aisle, there's someone else and they look at you and they say, you go first. Another grouping of three that's amazing. Or how about, I love you? That's, that's another grouping of three that we love to hear. Or, chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> because it's a cookie with chocolate chips. And what's not amazing about that? Amen? Okay, just making sure you're with me. But check this out. Christ on the cross said three amazing words. He said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. I've taken the weight of the world on my shoulders. I have paid the price for what's going on. And you know what? I am the Savior. I am the shepherd who's wanting to take my people to pasture. And so when we walk through stuff, understand that we don't serve a God who doesn't know pain. He doesn't know anguish. He even prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, remove this from me. But if it's your will, then I'm willing to do this. We have a Savior who knows what it is to walk through pain. And on the cross, he said, it is finished, and the debt was paid. And because of what Christ did on the cross, we have peace, and we can have hope for whatever we're walking through. And the third thing I think we need to do as we live this out is to share this hope with others. That, that we base our hope in Christ alone. And when we have friends that are struggling and walking through anything, don't give them this hopelessness. Don't take them to the world. Take them to the cross. Take them to understand that whatever they're walking through, God loves them enough to give them his son. He says, look, my son died for you. And, and when we walk through stuff and we claim Christ, make your life look like it. Don't just say Christ alone and then live contrary to what God says. Don't say Christ alone and then live as the world because the world looks good. Live according to Christ's laws, Christ's ways, Christ's purpose. Live according to Christ. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me.